This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hi, everybody. It is Tamar, and today I am sitting with Beverly Fay. She hails all the way from Arizona, and she's currently meeting with me from her car. She's very lucky because if I was sitting in my car, it would be 16 degrees, and I don't think I would be podcasting at this time. So anyway, I want Beverly to share her story. She has an interesting career trajectory story and a rising above the ashes story, and of course, there is some self-care too. So Beverly, tell me a little bit about your self, where, uh, a little more about where you are, how you got there, and yeah, go ahead. All right, thank you. Um, well, my name is Beverly. I um, I am in Arizona right now. I'm in, I'm actually in the parking lot at Arizona State University where I work. This is literally my dream job. I love working here, but I have done a lot of different things before I got here. I was telling Tamar earlier that I came here to this campus one time with my grandma back when I was young. Um, she let me pick out a ASU sweatshirt at the bookstore, and for some reason, I thought to myself back then, this is this is where I'm meant to be, and it has taken me a long time to get here. I am 42 years old, 41 years old. Oh, I added a year there, and I'm finally here at um, at Arizona State, and I am a career and industry specialist where I actually help I help students and alumni in their career transitions and career exploration process, which is amazing to me. It's I love it. Yeah, but you didn't really start with doing that. That was sort of a, I guess you would consider it a childhood dream turned adult reality, but there was definitely significant gaps that were unexpected and unanticipated. Feel free to oh, share yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, when I was very young, like first started out working, I was in retail. I was working at like gas stations and sporting goods store. I had my son when I was just 17 years old. So that made it very challenging as far as like finding jobs and daycare and things like that. I also lived in a very small town in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan when I had him. So when he was three, I moved down to Arizona the first time and I actually got a job in manufacturing. I was actually worked in the parts department at Honeywell and I counted parts all day and worked my way up. From that position all the way up into an executive assistant over the span of seven years, I worked in different manufacturing companies, Honeywell and Suntron, um, in an executive administrative role. And I really felt at that time in my life like I was going to go to school and get a job in supply chain management or business marketing, something like that. So lots of life changes later, I ended up actually getting a divorce and moving back to Michigan. So I had my son in Michigan. I moved to Arizona when he was three. I lived there for seven years. I loved living in Arizona, but just because of the divorce situation and needing some more support, I moved back to Michigan. Ended up getting back together with an ex-boyfriend who's now my husband. And the only job I could get up there with no college degree was uh, I ended up being a receptionist at the United Way. And I did that for five years. And through that experience, I got to meet an amazing social work intern who was telling me all about the social work program and what their values are. 
And I just kind of fell in love with the idea of it. I ended up going to get my bachelor's degree in social work. And the whole time I was doing that, I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. There's like a really broad range of things you can do with a social work degree. I ended up working in child welfare, which was the one thing I said I was never going to do. Mm. (laughs) Because child welfare is, I'm too soft. I'm too soft for it. It's hard. Yeah, I wasn't sleeping. I don't think I slept for a year and a half when I did that job. Broke into human resources at the state of Michigan, which ended up being an amazing experience. I did HR there. And when life changed again, and my grandma down here in Arizona, it was to the point where she really was going to need some extra support or probably have to go into a nursing home. And I just didn't want that for her. So I told my At that time, he was my boyfriend. We'd been dating for 10 years. I told him that I was going to have to come to Arizona and I would come by myself if I had to. But, you know, I would really love it if he came with me. So we moved down here and I was doing human resources for the state of Arizona in a couple different capacities. Um, And um, I was helping my grandma every evening. I would go over there at bedtime. I'd make sure she was all set. I'd get the plan for the day. My uncle lives with her, but he has a traumatic brain injury. He is not very good at planning things and remembering things and not very self-directed. He's physically capable of stuff, but he needs some, he needs a a director, I guess you could call it. Um, So I was going over there every evening. I was working all day and then just going to grandma's at night. But then she broke her collarbone in July and I was in the hospital with her waiting to get her x-ray results back. And I saw this job posting pop up for this career and industry specialist at the West Campus where I, like I said, is less than a mile from her house and I put in for it and I got it. And it was just one of those, everything clicked into place that was meant to be kind of things. So now I go there morning on my lunch break and in the evening, grandma's well taken care of and I'm doing a job I love. And it was a very long path to get here, but this is definitely where I was meant to be. I can feel it. Very cool. Very cool. So before I ask you the next question, I'm just curious, do you do you run over there? Do you drive over there? Because you're close. I am close. I do drive just because of the time constraints. Right. If I walked, it would probably because it is about one mile. So it would take me, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. And I only have an hour lunch break. So right. yeah, I figured as much. It's a challenge. But at the same time, yeah. you're, you're a runner. So yeah. And I'm, you know, for me, I'm just trying to pick up on running and you know, everything that's within a mile that or even two miles at some at times when I don't when I'm not constrained by time, I make sure to optimize for using my legs because otherwise I also want to get my steps in for the day, you know, right? So that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you talked about how you didn't want to be involved in child welfare and, you know, mm-hmm. you do have a story about rising above the ashes. So tell me a little bit about where that came from because I assume that it did have to do with your upbringing and not necessarily in the best uh, state for you. So, yeah. So I actually just had this conversation with a social work student that if you don't have your trauma, I don't know how to say it, how, if you haven't dealt with that and I've thought that I had dealt with trauma, trust me, I have done a lot of work on it. But I grew up, um, both of my parents um, are addicts, um, and I would say that my mom has some mental health issues on top of that. 
and they were violent with each other. So there's a lot of trauma that comes from that. Um, I actually was formally diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, generalized anxiety disorder from my childhood experiences because I was the oldest. It was me and my little brother and I often was, you know, I was the, I was making sure that he was okay and nobody was making sure I was okay. And so I did go through a couple bouts of counseling, I would say in my late teens. Um, and I, again, in my mid twenties, I've done a lot of spiritual work. I've, you know, I thought that I had pretty much, you know, dealt with the situations I had been in, but in some cases doing child welfare, I'm reading these case files and I'm hearing the stories of these children. And honestly, um, I'm thinking to myself while I'm doing this that I lived in worse circumstances than these children that the state have now deemed as unsafe. But I, I don't think I would have wanted to be pulled away from my family, right? My grandma was my savior and she is who I would run to the neighbors to call when things got out of hand and she would come and save us and we would stay at her house, I think for sometimes up to a week or two until things calmed down and and would I have that relationship with her if I, you know, had been removed and, and things like that? And so it, it brings up these weird feelings of guilt where you know that you're doing the right thing for this child because in no circumstance should I have been raised the way that I was. I should not have been subjected to the things that I've seen and the things that I've been through. And so even though you know you're doing the right thing, you know you are also adding a layer of trauma to those children. And there's no way around it. There just isn't. Because studies show over and over again that the best circumstance for a child is to live safely with their family. And sometimes that's just not always possible. And so that's where that's where I, I was not prepared. And I don't think there's anything that can really prepare you education-wise for that level of emotional involvement in a, in a job situation. And so it, it burnt me right out. It did not take long. Right. So if it's a kind of work that you're interested in and that, and we need them, the world needs people to, to be interested in and good at those kind of jobs, but make sure that you've dealt with your stuff. Cause I thought I had, and I clearly had not. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about it though, you did have a rock. You had your grandmother who was basically somebody you're able to depend on. And yes. having, you know, looking back, yeah, you potentially could have seen yourself in these children into some degree, but your situation, as you said, was worse. But you always had, there was something that kind of was your, what kept you grounded. And, mm -hmm. you know, looking at that, and I guess with the children, and especially when they're going to look back at it in 20 years, I think they're going to see that, I mean, the alternative could have been worse and in the position that you're in. I mean, it's definitely, it's rewarding, but it's, it's, it's tremendously it's challenging because yeah, especially if you're seeing yourself in this, in these children to some degree, there's definitely that feeling of, I, I can't do it. But I think at the end of the day, you know, when they do reflect back, they'll know that there, there was somebody who was really watching out for them. And maybe it, in your case, your grandmother was that person. But in that, in these children's cases, you're that person. So, yeah, it's scary, yeah. but at the same time, it's got to be rewarding. Oh yeah, I, and like I said, you know, you know, logically, it's the right thing to do. It just hurts in other ways, and I think another expectation 
and maybe another common misconception about parents who have their children removed is, you know, when I'm gearing up and mentally preparing to accept this job that I have learned a little bit about, but not even scratch the surface of, in my mind, I would be protecting children from these terrible, horrible people. But they're not terrible, horrible people at all. They are people who through have lived through their own tragic circumstances, who have never learned, you know, how to care for themselves, let alone a child, who suffer from addiction. You know, I some of the people I love the most in this world suffer from addiction. And it's so you think, you know, when you're going into it and from maybe the outside looking in, when you look at people who are doing child welfare, you're like saving the world from these terrible people who are like physically beating their children or, or you know, sexually molesting their children. And in some very rare cases, that is the case. But I would say of all of the cases I worked, one of them was that case where you felt like, man, these are truly just bad people. And the rest of them were addicts. Or in some cases, honestly, you know, they didn't have the mental capacity it took to take care of a child. So you're not protecting children from these terrible, horrible, scary people. You're protecting them from people who love them, but just don't have the, you know, the capacity to care for them the way they should be cared for. Right. And, and they're just, yeah, they're battling their demons. And the challenge is, you know, battling their demons while also raising a child sometimes yeah. and sadly the children are sometimes left by the wayside for lack of a better term one of my close friends was his his child was an amber alert uh i guess there was an amber alert out for this for the child because the addict parents took the children the child and left them uh, the grandmother who had custody you know, she she was left without both her children and the grandchild and I mean, you know, we thought everything was fine after the the child was returned. He spent time in the in 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 jail, and just a few months later, after he got out, he died of an overdose. So it's a yeah. it's, it's a challenge because you know he loved his child so much, but it's it's a demon you just can't necessarily you know excise what's the exorcist like the exorcist like get it out. It's it's how do you force that once you're there? requires a tremendous amount of willpower willpower and willpower that ne- people don't necessarily have they can't overcome mm-hmm. that so it's got to be tough yeah. definitely something definitely. yeah that i that i definitely have seen and you know all walks of life everywhere you're everywhere you are so it's a struggle yeah so tell me you know besides the fact that you're here and you're in a position where you're working with, I guess, young adults now, and you're helping them find their futures, how did you find, like, how did you bring yourself from, I guess, right? How did you rise above the ashes? Well, I would say if the ashes are my childhood, I did a lot of work. I went to counseling, and that was the very start of it, I'll never forget my very first counselor when I was, I think, 15 or 16, taught me about gratitude and uh, and gave me a simple task of uh, between every appointment, I had to literally write down three good things that happened that day. And it, if it was the worst day ever, I still had to find three good things. And it could be like that I got to have a cheeseburger 
for lunch and cheeseburgers are my favorite, you know, something that simple. But every night before I went to bed, I would have to list these three good things that happened to me. And I would say that that really was the turning point in my journey and what I would say has been a lifelong struggle to become a positive person, right? Because I, I literally, when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, I felt like I will expect the worst from everybody. And if I get anything better than the worst, that's a bonus. And if you just expect people to treat you terribly, then <clears throat> it doesn't hurt as much when they do, which is a lie anyway. So it doesn't work that way. It always hurts. So she got me going. Um, and I then did that classic thing that people do. And I married someone who didn't treat me very well. And I, he wasn't downright physically abusive to me. Um, you know, he shoved me a couple of times, but there was, it wasn't a, like, I wouldn't call it domestic violence situation, but he mentally, he took a toll on me. He, he would build me up and then tear me down. And it was like a cycle. He had some anger issues and, and he just wasn't very kind all the time. So I did that classic thing. And so then I had to kind of get over that as well. And that I think I turned to spirituality and I, I'm not a religious person. I, I wouldn't say that I like I don't believe in God. I wouldn't go that far. I would just say I'm not an organized religion kind of a person, but I believe I've got some powerful guardian angels out there. Um, and I did a lot of work. I would say probably some meditation type work, some just healing, just, you know, forgiving, learning what forgiveness was. That was a huge step. When I learned that you can forgive somebody without justifying their behavior or saying what they did was right to you, you can let that go. You can let all that hurt and anger go by forgiving someone. It doesn't mean that you're like, hey, it's cool you know, that you beat my mom nearly to death in front of us on a regular basis. I'm okay with that now. It's more like I don't have to hold on to this hate anymore and this anger anymore. So that was a big step. And that took actually my dad getting into a bad car accident and almost dying because I felt at that moment so scared that he was going to go and I was going to I was going to have this anger left behind, you know, because I never got to resolve it. So I, I like literally, I think it was when the internet was pretty new and I Googled, how do you forgive someone? <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, it was a, it was a, I'll never forget that day. I was like, wow, I can really just let it go. It's that easy. I don't have to accept that what he did was right to me. So it has been a very long journey. It happened again, I would say, when I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. It's a very painful and ugly disease. It's put me through the ringer. It, I literally thought that I was going to die at one point in like 20, I would say 2015. I was down to like 120 pounds, which is not me. I'm a solid 150 um, when I'm at my best. And so that took work again. I think it's a, it's a constant work in progress. It's constantly checking in with yourself and saying, Hey, you know, I have a choice here. I can be bitter about this. I can be angry about it, or I can, or I can, you know, choose to figure out how to move forward and be the best person I can be. And I don't want to be, I'm going to choose to be happy. I'm going to choose to, to, be positive and look for the positive in the situation. But I won't say that I don't feel like I've ever completely risen above 
these circumstances because man life will turn it just it's a roller coaster i just got pregnant in october and had my third miscarriage and if if there's anything in this life that i could say you know when i look back at my life <laughs> has really through the traumatic childhood through the chronic illness through everything i've been through man i wanted those babies i wanted them so bad and um and I thought I was over that. And then we were going to foster, but I decided to take care of my grandma instead. And that was a choice that my husband and I made together. It meant that he would never have, you know, children of his own. He, he considers my son his son, but like it's, he, we were never going to have children together, the two of us, if we made that choice and we did it. And I had put that all to rest. And then the universe is like, ha ha, here's this thing that you thought you were over wanting and I'm going to give it to you and take it away again. So I would say I was in a little bit of a slump um, until very recently because of that, that, that experience as well. But like I said, I can choose, I can choose to, to dwell on what I don't have. I can choose to dwell on the fact I have one amazing son. He's promised to take care of me when I'm old. So <laughs> I'm very lucky in that way. Well, I'm sure he watches when the way you take care of your grandmother. So he's learning, learning from the best. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, you know, what you say, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... Yes. I, yeah. So I'm reading that by Mark Manson. The subtitle is the, A Counterintuitive Approach to Living a Good Life. And, you know, I'm in the middle of it right now, but a lot of what, you know, rising above the ashes is basically using the pain you need, the pain you're going through, it, it helps you grow. If people didn't have pain, they wouldn't be growing in the way that they are. And I think that all of this is definitely contributing to your, and you might not see it, but I do get, and I gauge from this conversation, there's a lot of resilience, a lot of strength. It's hard. I mean, there's the pain, pain is pain. It's never, no one ever wants to deal with the pain, but I think there is a lot of blossoming that really comes from that from the worst and those those dark parts in your life life so yeah I think it's an interesting book I'm still still I, trying to get around it because I'm reading that at the same time of like like the other the other side of the trajectory if it's not really the other side the other side of the spectrum almost but yeah I need to read it I've heard good things about it so I need yeah. to put it on my list I right now all I'm reading is professional journal articles and textbooks though so yeah I try to do that sometimes I you know I, I do read it's funny I'm, I'm like I hover between these self-improvement books and then business books never business textbooks because I'm not really in that world anymore um, but you know all these all of these things just whatever they can do to contribute somehow to my personal happiness or you know, my sense of being able to overcome some of the struggles that I've also um, endured. And we all endure struggles. And yeah, like, you know, like you were talking about with the children and your your childhood. I mean, it's it, it's there. I think everybody can benefit from reading this and seeing that there is a way to, you know, move forward. And the funny uh, quote, no pain, no gain. It's, it's really true, but it's, it's in, in so many different, it's like in every element of our lives. Exactly. I think the adversity, I mean, it would be 
it would be so easy to be this positive, happy, go lucky person if you never had to overcome any adversity, right? So it's almost like me choosing to be happy and to live a positive life and to and to you know not curl up into a ball and live under a blanket for the rest of my days. It's you know not only is it is it a good choice because you get to continue living your life, but it almost feels sometimes like man, I'm a warrior. Right. I'm tough. I think that some of the things I've been through, people don't make it through to the other side. They wouldn't be telling a story like this because they're still in the thick of it. And I've, and I've had to push my way through that and not, not settle in. It's, um, it's hard. It's hard not to settle in. Sometimes anxiety is, oh, it's so heavy, but you know, that's where the running, I think, I think that's how the, the last, you know, five, or six years of my life have been so good because I've, I don't take pills for my anxiety. I go for a run or I go for a hard workout at the gym. You know, I, I used to take the pills and, and I don't knock people who need them. I, I have been there and I understand it, but I've been so blessed that my body has found this outlet through running to, to let me ease off of the medication and into just, uh, into being able to maintain on my own. Right. So, yeah, that actually goes into my last section of the podcast, your self-care regimen. So you talked about how when you were going to counseling that she had you write um, three things that you were grateful for before bedtime. Do you still work on that gratitude? I don't think I do it as um, purposefully as um, as I used to. But when I catch myself in a negative spiral and this just happened Honestly, like I said, because of the, you know, the recent miscarriage, not only, not only the miscarriage, not to make my, you know, not, I promise I'm not trying to amplify my story, but from June until January or actually like November, end of November this year, I lost a nephew to suicide. I, I had my, I lost my third baby and then my favorite uncle died very rapidly of liver cancer like all of those things happened in a five-month period in addition to that um, I'm working on my master's degree so that my grandma broke her collarbone which meant my uncle couldn't physically do the things that he was doing for her anymore so all of that care fell to me so you know starting in the mornings and the lunchtime routine and adding that in while also starting a new job so like I am not kidding you I was on the verge (laughs) because on the cherry on top of all of that is the holidays, which is just an extra layer. I think as beautiful as the holidays are, um, it's a, it's work, it's a lot of work and it's, it's a time commitment. And, you know, so like I was, I was really frazzled and I literally caught myself in the stinking thinking cycle right after the holidays about like, always having to do the next thing. What's the next task? What's the next task? And I was getting bitter. I was thinking I didn't sign up for this. I can't do this. And then I was like, I have not stopped and said out loud recently, how lucky I am that I get to see my grandma every day. Are you kidding me? Do you know how many people out there in the world would just love to have one more conversation with their grandma? I get to see her every day. Yeah, I'm stressed out because I'm getting my master's degree. I'm getting my master's degree from one of the best universities in the world. 
at a ridiculously discounted price because I also have the privilege of working at this amazing place. So yes, I, it was like a light bulb. I was like, I have not been grateful for anything. In the last month, I have not been grateful. <laughs> so it's time to start. And so in the mornings now, I park my car in this spot I'm actually talking to you in and I watch the sunrise through those trees and I, and I am intentionally grateful for these things that I have done. And I think that honestly, that's why the last two or three weeks I've felt this, I'm pulling myself out and it's through gratitude, intentional gratitude of, you know, yeah, it's work. Yes. I'm busy. Everybody's busy. I, I should be grateful that I'm this kind of busy, you know? Yeah. That's something that I've been trying to do. Now, I, I used to see, I have a friend on Facebook who every single day he would ask the same question. What are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? And honestly, I have to say, <laughs> it's kind of monotonous. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to think about it. Like, okay, um, does he really care? <laughs> like, I don't even know. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's not even about the fact that I would necessarily respond to him. And by the way, I never did. But I think it's about being able to internalize the question and use that as a stepping stone into your own thought process. You know, even with the struggles you have, especially with the struggles you have to realize that there are definitely blessings that are there, present in maybe in not so subtle, not so necessarily pronounced, but stuff that you should be uh, appreciate. And realize mm -hmm. that anything, I mean, it could go up or down, but in most cases, you know, it's it's usually just going to go up. Or like, yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your self care routine. You kind of talked about your fitness focus. So give me a little more insight into that. Yeah. So actually, um, I was not a runner. I tried running a couple different times in my life, um, more as like a just trying to lose weight. I actually, I used to be pretty heavy. Um, I'm, I think at my heaviest, I was at about 190 pounds. And I mentioned earlier at 150, like 145, I'm great. I'm a size eight. I'm more muscle than, you know, than Chubb. I feel good about myself. I feel strong. Um, so the running, I literally started I remember trying as part of this boot camp thing, right? So you start the boot camp, everybody runs a mile, um, and then you take the class, and then everybody runs a mile at the end with the goal to see like how much you improved. It was when those Skechers uh, tone and walk shoes just came out with the big fat soles. They were supposed to like you know shape your butt while you walked, and yeah. I had got a brand new pair of them, and I wore them to boot camp class where I had to run a mile for the first time since probably eighth grade. And I had so, so much regret after that day. <laughs> oh, but I tried. I wanted to be able to run the mile um, at the end of the class. And I literally had to start like from my house to the neighbor's mailbox and then walk and then to the neighbor's mailbox, just like that, like tiny baby steps. And I gave up on it because it was hard and I never got good at it and I couldn't get to the end of the street. And then fast forward a few years at the state of Michigan, I had the um, privilege to share an office with one of the most amazing people I know and she was a runner and I was like I remember saying like if I'm if you ever see me running you better run too because the only thing that's going to get me to run is if something real bad is behind me 
because that's terrible. I can't believe you do this for fun. Um, anyway, had a couple drinks with her at a Declare It Day event through Fellow Flowers, which is like an online running community. And I declared to run a 5K. And that was basically the beginning of the end. Um, I run, um, well, I would just train for the Rock and Roll Half Marathon, which was this weekend. Um, my friend that I just referenced who I shared an office with flew down here from Michigan to run it with me. And so that um, looked like me sticking to a training plan, running, you know, a couple of short runs during the week and a long run on the weekend. <clears throat> but I, because of the way that my spirit was just a little bit crushed here the last few months, I didn't do my strength training. And it showed the the half did not um, physically go as well as I wanted it to. My knee kind of gave out on me. And so I need to get back into the gym. So when I'm on it and I'm really taking care of myself, I'm going to the gym two or three days a week and I'm running two or three days a week. I usually do 30 minutes of intentional movement. That was my goal last year and I pretty much stuck with it. So six days a week, at least 30 minutes of intentional movement. I have three dogs that I um, we walk to the park. My husband um, and I usually take them out together because three dogs is a lot by yourself. They're big. So as far as other self-care goes, I'm not going to lie. I love a little bit of shopping here and there. <laughs> but it's really the, the strength workouts and the running. Now when I feel myself getting really stressed, like I said, that's my go-to. Some people think, oh, man, I need a drink. I think, oh, my gosh, I need a good run. Yeah, I, I don't drink either. So I totally yes. I'm just like, I got to get outside. I got to make something happen. I got to get some fresh air. I hear you. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So I want to ask you, um, so you said the first time when you ran your mile, you regretted it. I'm just curious, was it because of the the toning your butt through the sketcher shoes or was it the just running and making uh, it happen? It was mostly a lot because, I, like I said, I was very heavy. I was the heaviest I had ever been. I was at a boot camp class put on through the local college with a bunch of very fit very beautiful young girls and I was about you know 35 years old overweight never had run and the mile was around a track and everybody was done everybody was done like all the way done and I still had two or three laps to go and in an attempt to be encouraging the 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 beautiful young girls would were running like walking along with me as I was trying not to throw up and my legs were on fire from these stupid shoes and they were like you can do this come on and I just I know now like because I do the same thing to my friends because you just you do you want to encourage them you know you that they can do it they you just got to push through the sucky parts and it's going to get better but at the time I was just I was mortified I was so embarrassed yeah I think it, I think it took me like 15 or 16 minutes to do that mile. And that was at my maximum effort. So I will tell you that when I started my first 5k, uh -huh. I, I was doing C to 5k training, uh, couch to 5k training with, uh, with my treadmill and not really knowing what the ideal initial pace is. I was basically like, let me walk at 2.5 miles per hour and let me run at three miles an hour. If you have no idea what three miles an hour, it's basically our casual walking pace. But I didn't know that. So I'm sitting there making 
my butt move like a runner at three miles an hour on the treadmill. So the treadmill was pushing me to do it. And, yeah. and so I did my first 5k last March and it was a, it was a small race. There were only 118 participants and I was so proud of myself. I was like, oh, I trained for this and I talked it up, but I talked it up with like caution. I was like, I'm new to this. I don't really know what to do, but I trained for it, you know? So like you could think that that would benefit me, but my training for it was clearly at the wrong pace. So I start uh -huh. running and I'm so proud of myself because I beat, you know, I was nine minutes better than my 54 minute 5K, but it was still 45 minutes. And I came in 113th out of 118 um, participants. And the person right behind me was 89 years old. <laughs> I really struggled just to move past him. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's not easy when you first start and especially when you really don't have the right baseline. Yeah. No, that time I quit. Yeah. That time I quit. It wasn't until, that's another thing too. I think like when you're talking about self-care, I have amazing friends. So, and I don't, and I'm the kind of person I don't, if I tell somebody I'm going to do something, I want to do it. I don't want to let them down. And so me telling my friend and writing down on a piece of paper that I was going to do it, well, now I'm doing it. So, so that helps too. Like if you need an, I'm, I'm lucky I have accountability buddies to do stuff with. So. So that helps, but good for you for getting out there and, you know, you train by yourself on a treadmill for that's dedication right there. Yeah. Cause I find, I find it hard to be motivated. Like if I don't go outside and I don't have like somebody I'm doing it with, like, I don't run with somebody all the time, but it, it sure makes me more accountable to have somebody that like, Hey, we're going to meet at this time and we're going to do this thing. So good for you. Yeah, I don't have the most uh, predictable of schedules. So I was on the treadmill, but after that, my first C to 5K round, I ended up going to do C to 5K, C to 10K outside, ran additional 5Ks, and I was able to maintain like a 12 and a half minute pace or so. So I felt better about that. But I don't really have anybody that I really go with. And I, I almost want to be part of the, the clubs here, but at the same time, the logistical challenges of that with with children young kids mm. i can't like they do their runs at 6 30 in the morning and my husband leaves to work at 6 50 in the morning and then like you know three to six mile runs and i'm not even quite at a six mile run yet i would do like you know my own little 5k but i i wouldn't get home in time so logistically right now it's it's really just me myself and i when the weather permits right now the weather hasn't really permitted so much I run when I run and hopefully I'll run into a friend. She usually has her Garmin live tracker and I try to figure out where she's going to be at, at a specific time. And then I try to find her on that, this big massive road. And so far I've been two for two, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's not that easy because, you know, it's really about predictability and trying to, trying to predict her, her route and trying to predict whether I'll get there in time. Yeah. Um, Cause we're not, you know, she's, it's literally like, you know, a mile away. So I have to run a mile out of my, out of, out of the way in order to potentially find her but so far so yeah. good um well that's so, awesome yeah so tell me are you are you running more races now what, what's your what's your plan do you have a specific I... goal because people do sometimes they don't i don't i just do it to do it right so um i'm running another half marathon in one month so i signed up for the rock and roll because i really wanted the shoes 
<laughs> I got to tell you, my my first half marathon was two years ago, and I I was flaring my Crohn the Crohn's disease. It's a digestive disease. Right. Um, I was flaring pretty badly. Um, I was between medications, and I had six bathroom stops, right. and five of them were actually in Portageons. So if that tells you anything, I was mortified, and I and I was scared to do it again, and so. My friends down in Arizona, they decided they wanted to do a half marathon and they wanted to do the particular race, which I did two years ago, which was a bad experience for me. And so I didn't want to do that one. I decided I was going to do a different one and just do it by myself. That was the rock and roll I signed up for. But my friend from Michigan ended up coming down and running it with me, which I'm so, so glad she did. It was such a better experience because she was there. Um, And now I'll do this one. I don't know if I'm going to want to do a full. Um, I, I'm on the fence about it, honestly. My, I have an invite to do a full in Green Bay in May, and uh, I was going to see how the two um, halves went. Um, like I said, yeah, uh, the one this weekend, it didn't go as well as I had hoped. My knee, I've had like intermittent troubles with my knee, which I had not had any this training cycle. I was feeling so strong. I was. I felt like I had done everything right. My 11-mile run went beautifully until the last mile, and my hip started to hurt, and it was hard, but I did it. So I felt. I felt like I was so prepared, and my knee, it went pretty much went out at a mile and a half into this 13-mile thing um, that last weekend. So it was painful the whole time, and that was not what I was hoping for. Um, so we'll see after this next half, because I have to do it. Like I said, I told my friends I would. Um, do it with them. It'll be their first half marathon and we'll see how that goes. And depending on how that goes, we'll see if I decide to do a full or not. But I really do think that training for a half, like I'll probably um, do that at least once a year for the foreseeable future while my body allows it. Just because I've never ever found anything yet that feels so good when you're done. Not like not like while you're doing it, because while you're doing it, it's hard. <laughs> but yeah. when you're done, that feeling of like, when you're like, I'm going to run, I'm going to go run 10 miles today, you know, and in your head, you're thinking that's impossible. People don't run. Why would you do that to yourself? Right. But like, but when it's over, it's amazing. I, yeah. it feels so good. So I think a half a year for as long as my body will let me and maybe I'll do a full, maybe I won't. I haven't decided yet. I'm on the fence about it. But we should keep in touch about that. Right now, I feel the same way about halves. halves yeah. And, uh, I w- but I do have a goal in my life, on my bucket list, to do a, a full. I just, I haven't even gotten to a 10K yet. So I'm working my way up very slowly. Hopefully it'll happen. Yeah. I would yeah. love to. Love to hear about um, your 10K. Yeah. I'll keep you posted on that. I, I have no plans for it yet. But we'll see. <laughs> Anyhow, I have one last question that I'm going to ask you. Okay. If you can give your earlier self one piece of advice, what would you tell her? I wish that I had realized earlier that you do have a choice on what you focus on. And I'll leave with like the most powerful example of that. Because right now I live in Arizona and my only son lives in Michigan. And that's hard. I mean, it's really hard. And I think that my earlier self, 
I would think about that every day and I would be sad about it every day. And I would think about the everyday things that I miss. Like I don't get to just call them up and go to dinner and things like that. Um, but my today's self, I focus on the fact that I raised a son who is independent and smart and strong and 100% okay with his most supportive parent living across the country from him. He is, he is honestly okay. He probably has more money in savings right now than I do. He's a manager. He pays his bills. He, you know, I, that's what I choose to focus on that, you know, as much as I miss him, um, I did that. I raised that son who, who is an amazing human being. And, um, and even though I can't see him every day, um, I raised him in a way that, you know, he can take care of himself. And I think that as a parent is an ultimate goal. And so my earlier self, I would say, choose in any situation, you can choose what part of it you focus on. You can focus on the part that hurts. You can focus on the part that sucks and is really hard to get past, or you can focus on, on the good part. So cheesy as it sounds like that silver lining, focus on that because it'll, it'll make you a hundred percent happier. Yeah. Love it. And I'm sure, I'm sure he's very proud of you and what you've been able to do and sacrifice for his growth, his well being and his growth. Thank so, you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and I really appreciate you coming out and coming into your car and hiding yourself and keeping it quiet out there. Cause it's louder here than it is there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't trust my office for this. Someone would definitely have knocked on the door by now, so. Cool. Well, thank you again, and I'll keep you posted on the rest. Okay, that'd be great. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you. You too. Thank you all again for tuning in. This is your host, Tamar Weinberg of the Common Sense Podcast. Till next time.